Hello everyone, my dear listeners, it's Mario Piper. This is the Gen X Photography Podcast, episode 56. And uh, in this episode, uh, Suzanne, Julian, and I interview Anna Katarina, um, and we hope you do enjoy the show. But I forgot something at the end of the show, and that is where you can find her work, as well as ours. So I just wanted to make a preamble uh, for that purpose. So for Anna Katarina's, you can find her work at on Instagram at RicoFreak, R-I-C-O-H-F-R-E-A-K, RicoFreak. And uh, she does some pretty cool photography over there. Um, she also does her own podcast called The Odyssey Out Loud. Um, you can find that wherever you find your podcasts, wherever you find this podcast, <laughs> probably. Um, and it's a pretty cool episode where she... Uh, has uh, translated Homer's Odyssey from uh, ancient Greek into modern English. Pretty cool listen so far. You can find uh, Suzanne's work on Instagram at b.roll.backup, and there's a link tree where you can uh, see all of her other work, including her new website. Um, for Julianne, you can find her work on Instagram at JP Shoebox Walk, uh, Shoebox, B O X, like a shoebox, and walk as in walking in a forest, not walking some vegetables in the, in the walk, you know. So, JP Shoebox Walk. And also on Flickr at Julian Piper, G U L I E N N E P I P E R. And then, of course, you can find my work on, on uh, Instagram at Mario Piper and on Flickr at Mario Piper. All right, on with the show. Welcome, everyone, to episode 56 of the Gen X Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Mario Piper. And of course, with me today are my two awesome co-hosts, Julianne Piper and Suzanne Peterson. So, Julie, how you doing? Pretty good. That's awesome. Pretty all right. Pretty all right. <laughs> cool. And Suzanne, how about you? How you doing? Very well. Spent the good. morning out in the yard. It's a yeah. beautiful day. We finally are getting a little less rain, which is oh. welcome. Um, but so, yeah, I'm doing great. Cool, cool. Well, today we have a special guest with us, and that is Anna Katarina. Katarina? Katarina, Kat yeah. Katarina, okay. Anna Katarina mm -hmm. from New York City, originally from Colorado. <laughs> so, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Originally from Anna. a lot of places. <laughs> okay. <laughs> kind of like me, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, welcome to the podcast, Anna. Really excited to be here. I'm glad to have you. And how are you doing? I'm pretty good. It's it's very hot today, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just I've turned off all the fans, so there's no noise. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> okay, it sounds good. Well, I hope uh, I hope it's not too hot for you. Well, uh, before we get into the interview, I would just want to find out how everybody's doing, and I also want to make a, a shout out to a certain company, a photographic company. But we'll start with you, Julie. Uh, what what you've been doing lately as far as uh, photography? Well, I just broke a camera today, so that's awesome. One oh, that I just picked up from the repair shop. 
Um, so that was stellar. That's how today's been going. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how it it's been a little crazy with kids and camping and the end of the school year. So my my mind is a little bit all over the place at the moment. But um, if you say something that we did, then it'll remind me I did something <laughs> probably later. Okay. Sounds good. How about you, Suzanne? Uh, what you've been doing lately as far as photography? Uh, so I just made a purchase, <laughs> which I was not going to do. I've been trying to be good. Actually, I haven't bought any, a camera in a while. So I bought a, I just had a birthday and I got some birthday money wow. and I bought a four by five pinhole. Oh, nice. Yeah. Was it? So I'm also, what's that? What was it? Um, I'm going to have to look that up. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. Um, it's a, it's from B&H. It's one that um, two of my Instagram Is friends. The Baltic oh. Birch one? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. And we've borrowed we one before. Chit chatting over Instagram, and somebody made a comment about large format. And I said, yeah, that's something I'll eventually, I'm sure, dabble in. And I said, or maybe get obsessed with. And he's like, <laughs> the latter for sure. And then sends me this link. And he goes, this is a good gateway drug. And I'm like, oh, you had to go there. <laughs> so, of course, I just got birthday money. I'm like, so, yeah, I ordered it. And I got, so, you know, it's not just the camera. You have to get, you know, if you develop your own, you got to get your tank, you got to get your film holders and yada, yada, yada. So I'm, I'm piecing that together right now, but I'm, I'm really excited to just, to try it on a level that's not, I get a little overwhelmed with new things, like learning all the specifications of the camera and how to use it. And so I'm like, I can handle pinhole. So maybe now I can get used to just the basics of putting film in a holder and putting it into yeah. the camera and, you know, things like that um, and developing it. And then once I, you know, maybe the end of the year when I can take the course at the CPAP, um, hopefully they have it again. I think they will. Then I can maybe delve more into a, a you call them field cameras. I can't think of what they're called, but like yeah, the, with the bellows and the movement yeah. and all that. And you were movement, talking about yeah. an intrepid, right? Yeah. Yeah. You were looking at those ones. Yeah. So did so, you get any film? I did. What did, what I did just, you get? I just ordered Arista 400 just because I know it. Yeah. And Chris, who's the one friend who was, I was talking to him about what film to get. And I, I'm try, I tried to go with a less expensive film for my first few. Yeah. He had some on his on his Instagram that were with Ilford FP4 that were just beautiful. Um, but I'm like, that's double the price of the Arista. So I'm going to go with the Arista for my first box of film and then, yeah. and then, you know, break out that way. But that I is bought... the classic learning film. So <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Not, not as expensive. And, Mm-mm. you know, he just said the reciprocity failure is really bad on oh, that film. It? So, but it's okay. I mean, I'm, I'm learning, so I'll want to slow down and it's, it's okay. Yeah. It's, it's all good. Pinhole is, in, it, it's fun. Um, I, as far as four by five, I bought, I started with Ektar <laughs> 100. Um, and I, <laughs> I shot one, one exposure, developed it in a, a we have a Stearman press tank and um, 
I love it. I love the way the image looks as a negative, but mm. I tried to scan it and we have an Epson V600 and that you can technically scan a four by five image, but with the software, it doesn't, it, it doesn't give the accurate colors. Like it's all washed out in blue, but I know that that's not what the image actually looks like. Cause oh. I can see the negative and it looks properly exposed. So I think four by five is going to be at least for color film. It's going to be either sent to the dark room or, uh, just have to wait until we get a different kind of a scanner and just put the film back in the freezer. I don't um, even know how you just raised another question. Are there that? film holders? Are there film holders for the um, for the four by five negatives for scanning? I have a V seven hundred. There are, but we just use the um, what's that white thing? The, you put it on the glass. The yeah, that's what yeah, I, I right do with glass. all of my film. Okay. With that white back thing. Oh, I'm yeah. revealing okay. my my deep knowledge like you, here. <laughs> like if you if you're scanning thing. a Polaroid or something. Like yeah. that? Yeah. Okay. So that works but, with black and white film and with paper negatives. Yeah. I scan them, all of mine that way, and it works perfectly. But something when he put the color sheet in, it didn't work. Yeah. Okay. It are works. You I mean, it scanned the image. Are you selecting the specific the image. area? Yes, I'm. I, I'm selecting just the the just image the, itself. Just the image. Okay. But it just, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll send it to all three of you. <laughs> send the image as it's scanned and as it, as I yeah. invert it to show you what it's like. Because it's, it's, the image is definitely there. You can see it, but it's just mm -hmm. like really washed out and very, very blue when you invert mm -hmm. it. Um, it's, oh, it's so you're really scanning, straight. you're scanning as a negative image. You're not using their, right. their reversal process. Right. Because that okay. doesn't, we don't have the reversal thing when you use that white back. Does anyone know what the right. white back is called? Because I yeah. know that's not oh. what it's called. No, but I'm Matt. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. Thing. Yes, that Yeah, thing. I've never I've never used it with that. Um I use the film holders. So yeah. it's the straight yeah. light through on either side. Um Do you do four by five? That's all I've ever done too. I haven't tried scanning four by five with the V six hundred. I only scan one hundred twenty and thirty five with that. Um, yeah. and it's not great for thirty five. <laughs> <laughs> You know, this will be part, or maybe I can ask you about this uh, on a later on. Um, well, Suzanne, are you finished? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll move on, sorry, we'll move on to you, Anna. Have things right. been going for you, photographically speaking? Oh man. Um, I mean, I mean, good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been it's been a kind of crazy crazy month this month. It's it's interesting trying to find room for, for photography between moving and yeah. and all the other stuff. And, and I always like to try to document the things that are happening around me and, mm -hmm. and all the rest of it. So, so I still have, and I have a role from our road trip that I'm waiting to get back. So we're going to see how yeah. that went. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting into the film community out here and I'm hoping to bring a four by five out here I'm, I'm going back to denver briefly i stole some stuff in a storage unit including yeah. my field camera um oh, wow. so i'm i'm hoping to get into some stuff with that maybe do some portrait work in the parks things like that um but yeah it's i'm i'm excited for the i i've gotten very used to shooting outdoors shooting in the mountains stuff like that and i'm excited to try a different kind of photography out here so that's yeah. that's kind of where i'm at right now 
That's cool. Well, I, from what it seems like, the film community, the film photography community in New York City is pretty vibrant. Mm-hmm. Um, Ju- when Julie and I went down to uh, New York City last year, last April, uh, on a Lamography photo walk, um, there were a ton of people that, that joined that photo walk, all from New York City, basically. And then we went to a film lab. I think it was maybe Brooklyn Film Lab. I'm not sure. But it was in Brooklyn, and mm-hmm. it was a film lab. So... Uh, then there's B&H, there, and right across the lawn, there's or across the waters, there's a film photography project. So, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. like, there's so much concentrated in in New York City and the surrounding area. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm looking forward. I don't I don't know if anyone else has has seen or done anything with the Penumbra Foundation, but I went to a lecture of theirs about a month ago. They're like an alternative photography processes and like um, more his, historical photography techniques organization. Uh-huh. I think in Midtown. Um, but I went to a lecture that they had uh, about a month or two ago, and that was that was very cool. They have an amazing space, so I'm hoping to do more stuff with that community. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to hear more about your you know photographic processes and just your experience shooting film. It's going to be exciting to hear. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, as far as me recently, and I'm going to make a a future just kind of a solo show episode about it. But one thing I've been trying to do uh, more so is get better at developing and just kind of get more maybe scientific with it, with my developing so as to get better results. And I can honestly and truthfully say it does work. (laughs) So I'm not going to get into too many details because I'll save that for a future episode. But um, I'm going to make a shout out to Mike Kukavica <laughs> um, because he reached out to me as far as uh, shooting or processing Lomochrome turquoise. Um, and I told him, well, I just usually send mine to the darkroom because I haven't had that great of results processing it myself. But through tenacity <laughs> and sheer determination, I've decided and just wanting to save a little bit of money and wanting to see my images sooner than later, I decided to start doing it myself. And following that method or this, you know, this method, I've gotten what I feel like are pleasing results just from my, you know, from my own perspective. So um, home developing is a lot of fun. And if you do it in a methodical, calculating way, it's, it can, you can get really good results. (laughs) So with, Relatively dust-free negatives, which I'm really, really happy about because so much time is spent trying to clone out those dust, you know, the pieces of dust if you don't want them in your image. Oh, it takes so much time, but enough of that. <laughs> okay, let's get on in, into the interview. Uh, Anna, again, just thank you for being here. Um, you know, I, looking through your Instagram feed, which I know is not the whole of all your photography. It's no. very curated. Yeah, <laughs> as with, with all of ours. But one thing that I can see through your your photography, um, your images are awesome. But I see like a lot of angles in your photography, like <laughs> yeah. uh, down hallways or down mm-hmm. archways, uh, bridges and and things like that. And I just really mm-hmm. love that because it gives a perspective. So um, w- when you think about your photography. Um, what are what are some of the things that that you like to to photograph in particular? 
I think, I mean, I think I usually, I'm usually focused on things that I, I see kind of every day. I like, yeah. I like things I can return to. I like places that I'm, I'm very familiar with. Um, uh-huh. when I was younger, like my, when I was a teenager, I, I did a lot of digital stuff and a lot of it was when I was traveling and I'd be, I'd be behind the camera all the time and I'd mm-hmm. go through a whole trip and I'd come back with just, you know, hundreds and hundreds of photos and the whole trip felt like it was just behind a camera mm. and I kind of, I burned out on it. Um, yeah. pretty, pretty bad. Uh, and I didn't shoot for maybe four or five years in college. Um, so around that whole time. And then, and then when I started picking up film photography, I started trying to be more intentional with it and only photograph things that rather than just trying to, to document something I walked by one time, it was something that mattered to me or I'd spent time with, or, or I took a minute and, and I've gotten I've gotten a little more <laughs> prolific since then, and and like I, I I do shoot when I travel again, and I I do sometimes go places just to shoot, but I don't. I like to try to spend time and and take my time and and see things that I actually really enjoy, and not just you know get five of you know anything in the area and hope one comes out if I <laughs> yeah. can. Um, which I mean I feel like I feel like it's a fairly common thing with other film photographers as well because you're already so limited um, mm-hmm. that you don't want to just finger on the shutter the whole way <laughs> yeah for sure um so yeah just i like i i especially like shooting places that i that i love that i that i spend a lot of time in um mm. yeah I, I don't know if that if that answers yeah. your question yeah, yeah. that's great <laughs> cool cool um well i guess before we get too far into it i forgot we have a bunch of facebook questions oh um, yeah 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 <laughs> So um, what we're going to do is have Julian and Suzanne do uh, the first three and the last three questions. And then I'll I'll ask the middle one because it's a little bit more. It takes up a lot more room. So that's <laughs> enough for me. <laughs> um, Sounds good. OK, so I don't know if you guys decided, Julie, you're going to start. OK, <laughs> so why don't Flip you go ahead and ask the now. first question? <laughs> yeah, so the first question is from Alex Lokes, and he said, what are two main touchstone events in your life that have influenced your photography? We probably should have sent her that one before today, maybe. I think I <laughs> sent them on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I, I got to, I was thinking about them a little bit um, earlier. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, I'm not, I, I started shooting so young that I, I don't, fully remember what the impetus was um for me to begin i so i mean i would i would say that one of them is is probably something from when i was when i was maybe like five years old um but yeah i think i think i think the first time i ever felt excited about photography there was a there was an art school around the corner that did classes for young kids and i i don't know why they thought this was a good idea um but they they had a class, a darkroom class for like five or six year olds. Oh wow! <laughs> wow. Um, and yeah, I know. And I I have very vivid memories of of like the red lights and that we made um, pinhole cameras out of Quaker Oats oh. bins um, with like electrical tape and the whole thing. And and we played with a lot of different um, styles and stuff. And and I remember when we did the pinhole cameras, for whatever reason, we, we actually went through the full development process. We shot it, I think, on four by five film inside oatmeal tins. <laughs> <laughs> and we took photos of the laundromat across the street. And 
for whatever reason, nobody had thought to mark the backs of the images before they were put in. So no one, and they were all of the same subject. So no one could tell whose was whose. And I remember, you know, in my, my great five-year-old grief, just being so upset that I couldn't be sure <laughs> that this one was my own work. Um, so there's, I don't know, there was something about that experience about getting to hold it in my hands and, and just walk through that whole process, even at a young age, that was extremely exciting to me. And, and you know, then I didn't get to do film photography for almost 20 years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that, that, that I would say maybe be one of them, but the, for the second, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I got, I got back into doing film maybe five years ago with a, with a very old camera. One of those, um, the fold out Kodak brownies from like oh, 1920. Yeah. Um, cause I was just, I was, I was working on some other project and it, it referenced, some stuff about shooting those cameras and I was like well what if I could just what if I could just go out and shoot one like let's let's stop just like reading about it let's go try so I've been doing that for a bit and developing my own stuff from the beginning um but it didn't really click for me until I started scanning my own film and could actually see the results um because I was I was limited with that camera because it's a six by nine image and mm -hmm. none of the labs near me would scan it properly oh. they would all crop it which was extremely <laughs> frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, at the time, didn't want to spend the money on a scanner. But then a couple of years ago, my partner got me a Ricoflex camera for Christmas. Um, and I started shooting it. I was really excited about it. And I thought, well, okay, let's let's go out and get a Epson V600 and, <laughs> and whatever. And something about being able to go through the whole process and do it at speed. And, you know, I could shoot in the afternoon, develop in the evening, and had everything scanned by midnight. Yeah. Um, that just that really unlocked something for me and it I, I started kind of picking up speed on it and got got a lot more involved as opposed to just maybe shooting a roll once a month so that was just that ability to go through the whole process and actually see the thing and one of the first rolls i scanned had been had been sitting i'd shot a roll the month before the pandemic started so february oh, wow. 2020 and i'd left it sitting in the development tank for a year um because I wasn't I wasn't shooting that much I was just like I'll get to it I'll get to it I'll get and then I finally sometime in 2021 was like oh yeah I should probably <laughs> should probably do that and I did and it was the same time I'd gotten the scanner and there was just something a lot of it was double exposed and it was there's something very very fascinating to me about, about getting to like see that like past moment that I was now like bringing up out of that and and getting to actually kind of hold in my hands again and that was that was a lot of fun. So that that would be another kind of big moment. Uh, Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. Um, so I know film, unshot film, has a, a shelf life of like yes. three years or so, and then you mm -hmm. have to start compensating. But I've heard that if you shoot the film and then leave it, don't develop it, that that uh, it's more critical. It's more critical to develop the film pretty quickly afterwards. So did did That's... you see an effect? I saw no effect. Wow, okay. But I wouldn't trust that and I wouldn't take that as anything more than a one-off <laughs> anecdotal. It was it was ill for Delta 100 for anyone who's interested. Um So everyone listening so, to the podcast, Anna says, <laughs> Anna says to uh, leave your film in film tanks. It's fine. <laughs> leave it for over a year. You don't want to see those images. Um <laughs> wow, Yeah, cool. I mean I, I have had it's funny cuz I've had other issues with with film that 
was maybe even just a couple weeks expired where the backing paper just sticks to it oh, so wow. phenomenal you get the numbers you get the circles on 120. Yeah. Uh, you just get all the markings but this particular roll it just it was fine huh. um was, was that 120 or was it 35. that was 120 uh okay. shot on that really old camera the 100 year oh, old um, yeah yeah cool yeah so that was yeah i had yeah <laughs> nice Casey, Suzanne. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Um, okay, so I'm reading a question from Christina Thomas, and she wants to know how did you get started with film photography? I answered that a little bit there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, apart from that very, very young experience, um, it was, yeah, it was really, it was picking up that, that Kodak camera. I think I got it on Etsy or something and picked up film in Texas and, and that was, yeah, that was maybe 2018, something like that. Um, and that was, that was a little bit before, like, I mean, I think, I think the, the kind of resurgence of film has been slowly gaining speed, but it was, it didn't feel like that five years ago as much. I was like, I was finding less info about it. And, and the first time I tried to develop, it was a nightmare. Um, mm. And with those old cameras, you can't, there's no, there's no real aperture. There's no real shutter speed. It's a lot of guesswork. Um, so I was a little disheartened for a while, but it, I stuck with it in that. Yeah. So it was, it was just starting off with that really, really old camera just because I wanted to feel what it was like to shoot something from 1920. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And now here I am with so much gear. Uh, so right. Much. <laughs> like many cameras. <laughs> it happens, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, I briefly, I had, I had this early on this vague idea that oh well it's fun I started with a 1920 camera maybe I could do one from every decade going up and I'll do it in chronological order isn't that uh, it and then <laughs> and then I started looking at the price of cameras that were functioning from like 1925 that I could still get decent film for and I was just, you know what I'm just gonna I'm gonna jump to the Mamiya it's okay <laughs> I'm just gonna it's 1980 now it's okay uh, yeah so that <laughs> cool awesome Right. All right, Julie. Um, well, I have a question first. Can okay. I put one in there on Absolutely. my own? Okay. I don't want to break our order that we <laughs> talked about. But how many cameras do you have currently? Um, it's, I mean, there's, there's, there's the list of ones I use, and then there's the other list. Uh, <laughs> so um, let me think. I have, I have the Kodak Brownie. I have the Ricoh Flex TLR. I have a Mamiya 645. I have the Nikon F3. <laughs> I have a Cinar F. Um, um, I have an Argus A, but it's not very happy. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, oh, Zeiss Icon Contessa that I was shooting for a little bit last year. I haven't shot it in a while, but that's a fun little camera. Um, Icon Contessa. What am I missing? And then, and then I have a couple of digital a couple of Nikon digital cameras, um, both a mirrorless and a DSLR. Oh, and my first camera, a uh, Nikon D40. Do you still yeah. have the original 1920s Kodak that you started with? I, I do. I just shot a roll on it last month, actually. Awesome. I, uh, I had to replace the entire bellows on it at one point, but they I was able to find um, like new old stock from the factory when they were making them. It's like still wrapped in its whatever. So I, I took it apart the bellows on it and it so the light leak is is still there but it's better um and that was a lot of fun too just getting to like get into the nitty-gritty of how this thing worked and 
and take it all apart. So that's, that's great that you did that. My camera repairman was just telling me that I needed to look into that because I have a bunch of old folders mm. and I had this brilliant idea. Here's something I did do. I forgot. I decided to try to make like a a cover. Yes. Yeah. Over the over all the pinholes mm -hmm. and I was like nylons nylons should do the trick oh I could see that I used two legs because one mm -hmm. was too thin yeah <laughs> stretched it over and it did work until the pressure collapsed the ribs oh, on yeah, one yeah, side yeah. I don't know if ribs is the right word but you know the what yeah, I mean the, the, the folds yeah so in one side of each image you can see it photographed the ribs Mm -hmm. And then when I took the nylons off, the ribs on that side, like, tick, 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 they oh, all fell out. No. So now it's really shot. Yeah. Like, now it's, he was like, you know, you can find new old stock for a lot of mm -hmm. these cameras. So I'll have to pick your brain. Yeah, it, um, to get yeah, I can, look. absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> that would be fun to try. Um, but our other question is from Jim Graves. And he said, do you have a grail camera or are you just happy with what you have? I, th I think I'm pretty happy with what I have. Um, I I think at some point I'd like to try out a Hasselblad just because that is the, the kind of classic, fantastic medium format. I, I love medium format. I enjoy 35, but I'm very much there for medium format. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really, I really enjoy all the cameras I have. I especially like my Ricoh Flex, which has been in the shop for a couple months. So I've just been shooting with Mia. Um, but yeah, I just, I like, I like trying new things and I like, I especially love anything with a waist level viewfinder. It has mm -hmm. that, I'm sold. <laughs> That's my favorite too. I agree. I love waist level viewfinders. Mm -hmm. Some about them. They're fascinating. Yeah. Looking through the ground glass. Mm -hmm. It's, I don't know, there's something other, almost otherworldly about looking through it versus yeah. a yeah. viewfinder. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it feels like you can already hold the image in your hands. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I really love that. Yeah, exactly. It's magical. It really yeah. has that look to yeah. it. Yeah. Cool. Well, we have a question from Billy Sanford, and he has a little bit of exposition before it, before the question. Right. So talk a little about composition. Many images capture the world from five to six feet off the ground, so it always stands out to me when an image is composed from a different perspective, for instance, down low or up high looking down, etc. I saw a few examples on your feed, and it is something I try to keep in the back of my mind to consider. So what is your thought process as it relates to some of these, what we might call less conventional points of view? I mean, um, I think I think part of that is the waist level viewfinder to begin with. Um, it's already it's already setting you <laughs> a little bit lower than that five or six feet. But I I think I, I mean I do try to, especially with the lower angles, I do try to do that intentionally a lot of the time because I feel like that that straight on eye level shot it gets rid of a lot of the um, of the sense of of scale and of of kind of I mean when we're, especially if you're in the city or the mountains, really really anywhere are I think we view ourselves in relation to the things we're looking at and we feel much more aware of how much they loom over us or how big they feel in relation to us. Um, and sometimes with smaller things, it's fun to just kind of transform it and swap that around. Yeah. But I like to try to, to try to 
bring that back in the photo and and make it feel a little more like you could actually be standing there or actually feeling a sensation of the space around you which is hard to do when everything looks kind of flat and at the same at the same height um yeah yeah and if it's i mean in terms of like side angles or or i mean especially up looking down i mean i think it just changes it changes the thing and it gives someone a more immediate response to it as opposed to just just kind of pure and basic documentation of oh here's what this looked like on this day at this time mm-hmm. which can be exceptionally cool and i think absolutely has a place but it sometimes doesn't provoke that emotional response or that that feeling of, of being somewhere new or oh i've never seen that in that way i've changed my whole viewpoint on it you know yeah i get get what you're saying because um seeing a photograph taken from a normal human perspective mm-hmm. it it does feel, I don't want to say normal, but it just feels more relatable. Whereas I know for me, like if I, if I, you know, bend down and take a photo of something from say ground level, mm-hmm. we don't normally see from that perspective. So it does give you a different feeling versus the uh, more, I guess, familiar feeling of, you know, like you were, like you were saying. Yeah. So yeah, that's cool. That's cool. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Suzanne. <laughs> All right. So my question is from Molly Kate, Eclectochrome. Did she change her name, by the way? I haven't seen Eclectochrome coming up. Um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. How do you arrive at the Instagram name Rico Freak? I love it, by the way. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that's just it's just based off my my Rico Flex camera um, that I'm, I'm I'm a freak for it. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I started I started that Instagram account about a year and a bit ago now and I I thought way too long about the name and I couldn't decide on anything and I was like no just screw it just just pick something it's gonna be fine so I just went with that <laughs> cool. <laughs> it's kind of a little bit of a pun sort of yeah it's still that connection is. connection to your original yeah I like that very cool well I have a question I'm not gonna ask it now I'll wait till all the Facebook questions are done <laughs> but it's about your your Instagram name so <laughs> oh yeah okay, okay. So our next question is from Bob St. Cyr, and he says, do you prefer to photograph in summer or winter and why? And how do you find working with the Mamiya 645? And do you have a favorite lens for that format? Um, ooh, I don't I don't know if I have a preference between summer and winter. They both have upsides and downsides. <laughs> mm. um, on the one hand, I, I hate when it's so hot out, I don't want to be carrying my camera bag around. But on the other hand, all the green and all the people and all the street scenes and mm-hmm. so nice. Um, and then with winter, I, I mean, I love shooting black and white in winter, especially I am going to miss Colorado winters shooting in Colorado in December is great. Um, but then again, my fingers freeze off. So, you know, it's it's kind of six of one, half a dozen of the other. Um, yeah, I don't no preference. Uh, and with the Mamiya, I, I really like it. Um, I do prefer 6x6 images to the 645. Um, but I've been really happy with the quality. The shooting experience on it is really nice. Um, I, lo- I love the Wasteful Viewfinder. I couldn't, I do I do have the, the Prism Viewfinder, but I could not imagine having to hold that up to eye level and <laughs> take a shot. The weight would just be too much. Um, so I never use it. Um, although in a studio setting, I could I could see that being pretty great. 
so yeah, I mean, I, I really like it. The one I have one thing that is frustrating with it, which is the shutter lock. If you forget to lock it, you end up accidentally losing a shot. Or if you do have it locked, you might miss that moment because you have to spend a minute fiddling. And, and, and oh, there's the moment gone. Mm. Um, and yeah, I don't I don't know if I have a favorite lens. I just have I have like an 80 millimeter. I think it's the 120 millimeter, and then I have a macro. Um, like a one-to-one macro for it, which is a Christmas gift, and I I love that thing, but it's it is a monster. <laughs> it's just it is so so long. Um, but it's it's fun to it's fun. I, I love shooting macro with 35 because it feels a little more like 120 to me, and getting to shoot macro on 120 is a fantastic experience. I'd highly recommend that to anyone. Yeah, was that was that all? I think I caught all three questions in that. Okay. <laughs> I have to. I have to. Uh, I have to mirror that comment about accidentally firing the thing. Yeah. Oh my gosh! I can't tell you how many shots mm-hmm. that I've wasted. I started now. Like you know, with the Holga, you have to sort of have a plan. Okay, do I advance mm-hmm. after or before? So yes. I've started adopting my Holga stance, where right before I take the picture, I'm gonna advance it and then shoot. Like Very, that's a good one. I should do that. That. Is oh my cool. gosh! Every time. And I'm like, click it, I'm like, oh, I just wasted mm-hmm. another shot. And it's got those two shutters, too. It's got the one on top and the one on yeah. the so top. Yeah. yeah, you're stuck. It's, it's just. <laughs> yeah, I do use my, um, I use my, I don't have a waist level viewfinder on that one, and I'd like to, but they're really expensive. Yes. I was surprised. I thought that the prism finder would be more expensive, but I think the waist mm-hmm. level viewfinder is like, it's a, like a couple hundred dollars. It is. Oh, wow. yeah, like, I, I had to, yeah, get mine from Japan on eBay. And yeah, it yeah. was like 200 something. Yes. Oh, when I bought mine, it came with the prism finder. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm just going to keep it because it has the meter in it. Right. Um, yeah. But I shoot a lot with the, the 80 as well. And I think mm-hmm. I have a 150. And I, it, it came with a 55 or 45. And oh, But the 80 is what mainly stays on it. Yeah, but I mean that's the fifty equivalent for for that camera, I think, it, right? It might, it might be. I, I never so. know. Once. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I the eighty is the normal. Is like a fifty one. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, but there is nothing quite like the shutter or mirror slap, whatever, on the Mamiya six. I know. I know. Oh. It just like goes right through you. It's crazy. It does. It's so yeah. fantastic. Oh, yeah. I love that thing. Um. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Real so quick, Suzanne. I have a last question. What's that? I'm, I'm sorry. I want to uh, ask uh, yeah. Anna. Uh, sorry, brain freeze here. Anna, I want to ask you a little bit about the Mamiya. That's a, yeah. an SLR, right? Yes. Okay. And it, you said something about the if you have the shutter lock on, you waste a shot. Can you explain oh, that a little yeah, bit? Because I don't quite understand. Oh, sorry. So um, that's okay. Yeah. So so at at the at the shutter on the like underneath the lens, there's two shutter spots. There's one on top, and then there's one like just to the bottom, like your right of the lens and it has like a little ring on it and you have to make sure that it that locks the shutter and if you don't lock the shutter it might accidentally go off because there's no shuttercock like on a tlr or something like that okay so if you've forgotten to do that and you advance the film and then you put it back in your bag but you forgot to lock it you might accidentally hit the shutter in the process of putting back in your bag or just like you have it around your like neck and then it hits your hip or so okay you if you have the like, if you, I mean, if you have the lens cap on, you could maybe do a double exposure and save that shot. Right. But if you didn't, then you have a shot at the ground. Um, 
Okay, so you're saying if the shutter, if he didn't, if he didn't lock the shutter, right? That exactly. You might waste the shutter. I thought you said if you did lock the shutter. I'm like, how does that work? If you no, lock no, the shutter, was, then it should prevent yeah, the shutter I, from. I was okay. Yeah, I was just saying, okay, like, if you I'm do sorry. lock the shutter, I sometimes like forget that I have it locked, and I try to take a shot, and then I have to like go back and undo the whole thing, and then have to okay. reframe, and it. So that yeah. can be a little. It's not good for fast shooting necessarily. I guess is what I'd say. It, okay. it can be if you have some stuff set up, but it's not always. Yeah. So you, so when you lock the shutter, and then, and you forget to do that, you might be, you you're not wasting the the exposure on the film, but you might have missed your your shot. Is what right. You're exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I've had a couple a moments of wild brain. life or street photography <laughs> where it's just like, oh, that was going to be a great shot, and now mm-hmm. no. <laughs> Well, it's like right now I can see this uh, yellowtail, I'm sorry, a swallowtail, yellow swallowtail mm-hmm. butterfly right outside. And I was trying to get it with my um, Mamiya C220. Mm-hmm. I'm, I have a roll of Lomo turquoise in it, and I would just love to see what it looks like in turquoise. Oh, yeah. But I, I couldn't get it. It was just moving around so quickly, and then mm-hmm. it just flew off. So I'm like, yeah, hopefully be able to photograph you, but sometime later. <laughs> For sure. So, yeah. Yeah, okay, and I love I'm, the stuff I'm sorry. you do with all those all those other other color films, all the like Lomo stuff. That's I, I love seeing it's that fun. stuff on my feed. It's very cool. Well, thanks. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> okay. So last question from Facebook is Sherry Christensen. And she says, if you could ask your favorite photographer one question, what would you ask and why? I thought about that one a lot. Um, and I don't have a favorite photographer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have I have a bunch of people I admire, a bunch of people I like. Um, but it there's I mean there's so there's um there is there's someone who there's this photo series I've been looking at a lot lately, um, and I'm just realizing now I've never said this guy's name out loud before, so we're gonna see if I butcher it. Um, but there's a Swiss photographer named um, Hugh de Verstenberger. Um, did I don't think he's done anything recently. A lot of his stuff is 80s, 90s, early aughts. But he did this series on the Vatican Guards. Um, uh-huh. I think in the I think he I think he was in the Swiss Guard. I'm not sure though, so don't don't quote me on that. <laughs> um, but I think he must have been because I mean he is this incredibly intimate, incredibly up close perspective on on the barracks and on life around the Vatican it's all black and white um and I I would I would extremely highly recommend anyone anyone looking it up it's yeah it's just Hugh de Verstenberger and then and then I think I think Vatican guards and it'll probably come up um how how do you say the first name uh Hugh so it's H-U-G-H-E-S and then D-E and then W-U-R-S-T-E-M B-E-R-G-E-R. So I'm mispronouncing wow. that. I'm incredibly sorry. Um, <laughs> oh, I found him. Yes. Yeah. So he, he also okay. did some stuff with the Cannes Film Festival in the 90s that is also just, it's it's very, it's very like up close and personal. And mm. I just, I find that so cool. <laughs> I'm definitely going to look at him. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. And I guess, I mean, in terms of like, question I would ask him or something like that it a lot of his images give me the feeling it's like that the people almost forgotten that he's there or that the camera is there like they might know that he's there but it it's 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 the kind of raw immediacy that makes me feel like people aren't aware of being observed 
Mm. And I would love to know how to do that. Because um, I, I have a lot of nerves shooting people. I don't know if you can tell from my Instagram feed, there's not a lot of people in those photos. Um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of us like that. <laughs> yeah. it's And especially, I think, now with with the prevalence of cameras everywhere and our phones and the digital cameras, and we, we are much more guarded. So I don't know if it's even possible now to get the kind of images he was getting mm-hmm. 30 years ago. Um, but I... I really enjoy that kind of just you're actually getting to see a human moment and seeing another person without their self-awareness in the way as much. Mm -hmm. And I would love I would love to be able to create things like that and and not have the fact that I'm holding this camera get in the way. And I I think something that helps with that a little bit with and this is part of why I love film photography so much is when you have one of those very peculiar old cameras and you're out in the world, people are a lot less guarded and they're a lot less freaked out by them. Yeah. And I think that's also true of like shooting from a lower perspective. I mean, if you're if you're up here with your huge DSLR and mirrorless now, just like click, 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 everybody's a little bit like, wait, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? And if you're if you're standing there with a 80-year-old camera that that you know looks like a weird double-lensed brick, mm-hmm. people are a little they're a little less freaked out and they're happier to be like, yes, please take my picture. Um do I like that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'd, I'd yeah, like to know how to do more of that. Sometimes they don't even know that you're taking their picture. Mm-hmm. Yes, especially even better. <laughs> and there is something yeah. really, there's something captivating about the, when you photograph a human, that's, you know, that's our own species. There, there's mm-hmm. something, there's a connection there that we don't necessarily have with other objects that we might photograph, even if it's a right. living object. Like I photograph my dog and I love my mm-hmm. dog uh, or cats or plants or whatever. They're, they're living things, but there's something about the human connection that when we yeah. see into their eyes or maybe a side glance or whatever, you see those photographs and you're like, oh man, I, mm-hmm. I relate to that, you yeah. know? Um, but to actually capture that, it, it, like you said, it's really challenging. I, I have, what I term a wall in front of me that mm-hmm. kind of prevents me from having the nerve to to photograph people because I don't want right. to offend them or freak them out. But man, I'd love to capture them because exactly. people are beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And again, there's also just all the elements of like you have to, when you want to take your time with a photograph and there's another person on the other side, you start being more aware of how long you're taking and how Mm-hmm. how you're framing this and are they uncomfortable it's it's you know I could spend 30 minutes framing up a shot of a tree and if I try to do that with a person I just feel so uncomfortable and so yeah. <laughs> oh god is this all right or I'm so sorry you know um <laughs> I guess when they see the final result though you know if it comes if it turns out well and it's developed mm-hmm. you know processed well and everything like that um that's one positive thing for them right yes absolutely um and, Especially if they, you know, they most people think that film is no longer around. So if they think or if they find out that their image is on a piece of film, it's like that mm-hmm. can be a kind of a interesting, cool thing for them, you know? Right. Absolutely. That's kind of what I'm hoping I can do with with four by five stuff out here is because I mean, yeah. it, it, you have to take your time with that. There's no way to speed it up. Mm-hmm. And I want to try to like see if I can like get other people interested or, or just like hang out in the park one day with it and see if anyone wants to come up and, and let me take their photo. And that kind of thing that 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 sounds like a lot of fun to me. Um, kind of so build that cool. time back in. Yeah, yeah. I hope you do that. I really do. I was just one one thing I wanted to ask you is, do you think you're you'll start really wanting to shift in what you shoot in your subject? Just since now you're more 
not that Denver isn't the right. city, but you have so much more access to the to nature here. Yeah, yeah. Although that that is something that's been it's been interesting to me is there there's a lot of green spaces in New York, like mm -hmm. way more okay. than I was anticipating. Um, yeah. So so you know that might that might just keep me from ever progressing here. We're gonna say <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, no, I I do. I would really like to stop feeling like I have this block around shooting people and around shooting street scenes and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I need to, I need to push myself. I need to try to get out there and do that more. And there's probably going to be a bunch of roles I am miserable with. <laughs> I'm just going to have to let that happen. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> the sacrificial um, roles. <laughs> exactly. Right. But, um, it's exciting so it's though. Nice. It's, a, it's a fun goal. Yeah. And it's good not to stagnate and good not to, you know, just get stuck in the same, the same rhythm. So but well, here's I think, hoping. I think New York city would probably be, I would think one of the, one of the best places to to pursue that because mm -hmm. it is a very artistic city. Um, yeah. You know, lots of people are into the arts. Of course, it's a normal city where there's all kinds of people just doing their daily lives, but there's a lot of totally. artistic endeavors in, in New York City. Plus, like Julie and I, we live in the country and mm -hmm. the closest big city yeah. is, and we say big city, it's like 39,000 people. So it's right. not big. Yeah. Um, is like 60 minutes away. The town mm -hmm. we live closest to is like 1,200 people. So, right. If you shoot, photograph people on the street, they know who you are. Like we're mm -hmm. known in the community, so it's like it's just kind of weird. Well, <laughs> yeah. in the city, him no. He asked old ladies on the street if he could yeah. take their picture, and they told him no. I was yeah. like, "You're so mean." <laughs> I was like, You're "Being mean to my husband." And there were yeah. two old ladies talking with each other, and I'm, I'm like, "That." that be such a cool photograph and they were like no Absolutely. like uh <laughs> oh well oh well uh. well are we done with the facebook questions mm -hmm. okay well if you guys don't mind you and uh, uh julie and suzanne i want to ask Anna. I'm, i don't like referring to people in the third person Anna, i'd like to ask you a couple of questions <laughs> sure, um, and it. then hand it off to julie and suzanne um so one of the one of the things you talked about early on was uh, scanning using the Epson mm -hmm. V600, and I said I was going to ask you about it later. And you said that the Epson V600 doesn't do well with 35. Um, yeah. Could you explain that a little bit? So I I haven't found the results to be as of good quality or high resolution as what I've gotten from 120. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's like, there's a lot of stuff you can do post-processing, there's a lot of whatever. And I just found they they often came out very muddy for me. Okay. Um, and I was getting results I loved with the exact same like process out of 120. And I've, I've heard a lot of, I mean, on I I follow some of the, the analog communities on Reddit and stuff, and I've heard other people complaining about a similar thing. Um, okay. But it might, I mean, it might just be the way I'm processing it. Um, but I, I recently upgraded to DSLR scanning. Okay. Um, with some of the, what is it? The Valoy system stuff. They had a sale last Black Friday and I was like, oh, yes, wow. <laughs> let's go. Okay. Um, so I, I set myself up with all that and I, there were roles that I'd shot maybe a year, year and a half ago, 35 that I, at the time had just been like, oh, this was, this was horrible. What was I doing? And then I rescanned them and I was like, wait, hang on. <laughs> I actually like this shot. Oh, wow. Because um, the quality was just so much better and the ability to control the post-processing. Um, I, I use Lightroom now and that was, 
that was 10 X better. Whereas I'll still, if I'm not, if I don't think I'm going to be doing anything except posting to Instagram with a role, I might still use the Epson for 120. Okay. Um, especially with black and white, because I found it's there is a difference, but it's not as pronounced as 35 for me. Okay. So, so yeah. with with your DSLR scanning, um, mm-hmm. did you do you do you have a particular lens that does does good for for the yeah, scanning? Yeah, I use, I use a DSLR? macro lens. I use a macro oh, okay. lens. Okay. What I, what uh, focal length? I'm oh, sorry. Man, I'm trying I to cut you off. No, no, you're fine. Um, it's a Nikon macro lens. Has auto? Oh, I don't know the focal length. It, it is. It's one to one. It's it's one of their autofocus macro. Okay. So it's it's like the full the full life size macro. Um, okay. Yeah, I got. It. I didn't. I didn't buy it. It was it was a gift from someone who's like clearing out their basement. Uh, <laughs> oh wow! Thank God. Is um, it is it an autofocus or is it like a a manual it focus? It is, but uh, I it is, but I keep it in manual. I prefer okay. manual. Um, yeah, yeah. Even if I have the option, so. Because what I'm wondering about is if you have a like, say, if you have a macro lens, but a classic lens, like say for. Mm-hmm. A, a Nikon classic Nikon lens or a say a Minolta lens that can be used on so I believe they can be used on Sony Sony bodies um, or at least the maybe the newer uh, Minolta lenses if you have a classic lens I wonder if those could be useful for scanning film um, as long as it's yeah. a macro lens yeah as long as I mean I think there's a bunch of different lenses that work with it um, okay I just happen to have the macro there's there's a lot of lists online there's a lot of there's a lot of literature on it, but um, yeah, I mean, okay. I, I like using this one because it it works with my Nikon DSLR and it works with my yeah. F3, oh, so cool. I can I can just use the macro for everything. Um, oh, so is your DSLR a, a full frame? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, it's the, okay, it's the D750. Okay, um, nice. Yeah, which I think now that I mean now that Nikon's like pushing really hard on the mirrorless thing, but I think the D750s have have dropped. Like you can get one on KEH for not too bad now. Okay. And it's a really nice camera. Um, Do you have uh, like a stand where you, I've seen pictures where, um, uh, you know, of DSLR scanning, mm -hmm. like you put your camera on a stand so it's like perfectly aligned with the film. Yeah, the copy stands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. I I built one, I built one with plumber's pipe and a piece of wood. Uh, Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah, there's some other people online have done that. But yeah, you just go to Home Depot, get, I think they have like, I got like a, pre-finished like i think it's made to like if you want to make a tabletop as a crafting project i don't know okay. i got like a big round piece of fairly heavy wood i screwed a like a flange like a floor flange to it that fit a really long piece of pipe and then just screw it in and then i use a um what is a super clamp to hold my camera okay and then i just point it straight down and you have to i mean you uh, have to like make sure everything's level and, and dusted and you know yeah so it's, How- it is slower but how far away from the film do you have to be to get like from your from mm-hmm. your um, doing it? What have you found to be a, a good distance? It it depends the on the it depends on the type of thing I'm shooting. So I have to change the height if I'm shooting 35 versus um, six four five versus six by six versus six by nine. It it goes up as I as I do that. So 35 it's not very far from it, and then okay, and then it just keeps. So I've marked it with tape. <laughs> nice. Always, yeah, so it's very. A very high-end setup is what I have. Um. <laughs> I love it. Well, it works, and it and it's something that matters. you understand yeah. because you built it. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Well, one other question I have it does re- it is regarding your um, the Rico Freak, your Instagram oh, yeah. name. Uh, Rico and Pentax are 
together in modern times, kind of like Konica and Minolta oh, yeah. are. Mm-hmm. So I was going to ask you if you like Pentax, but it doesn't sound like you have any Pentax cameras. I have never shot one. Okay. So I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I have not, no reason, like nothing against. I just, just never, I never shot one. Yeah, it's the same with me with a lot of other um, camera manufacturers. But I was going to ask if you heard about the, you know, the Pentax news that they're coming out with the new film camera and if you were excited about it, because I'm really, really excited. (laughs) I'm trying to, I I feel like I might have heard something about that. Like, was it months ago that they first started talking about it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And then they had, yeah, that's extremely cool. It is. Oh, I haven't seen the update. Yeah. They're, they're, definitely continuing on with the process and they're trying fantastic. to figure out the film advance they want to have a film mm. advance lever uh nice. to give that yeah. tactile feel for the new classic, photographers yes. so that is very cool that's that is. is extremely exciting yeah yeah okay well i'm done uh as far as like my particular questions i might come up with one um as we you know proceed but julie and suzanne do you guys have anything that you'd like to ask anna Okay. I see Suzanne is <laughs> Okay. Well, I have, see, I have insider information. So, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about your show. Oh, yeah. It's a very, very small show. <laughs> it, it's no, it's a, it's cool. I, so, I would love to hear more about it. If you oh, were, would be willing to like plug it and just talk, tell us what it's about and what you're exhibiting. Yeah. So yeah, so there's just there's a there's a coffee shop in Denver, um, Pablo's Coffee. They have a couple locations. This one's on Sixth, um, I think Sixth Avenue, uh, and they so every every month they have uh, like local artists come in and they just kind of take over the walls for a month and exhibit and sell sell their work. Um, they have like a lot of they have a lot of very cool artists who work there and show their stuff and a lot of cool people in the community. Um, so uh, I. While we were living in Denver, I, I went there a lot um, and they invited me to hang some of my photos there in August. So the whole month of August, that'll be me over at Pablo's on Six. Um, and I'm, I'm putting together the show right now, but it's it's looking like just I'm just going to do like a lot of my black and white work, um, probably a lot of a lot of mountains and stuff. I might I might try to narrow the theme to kind of more specifically ephemeral things like things like the next second it would not remotely have looked like that or something was going to change in a minute um we're going to see how that goes yeah. <laughs> still putting it together um and i'm hoping to be able to do to do some darkroom work to to display it or not just have it not just have kind of modern printing um we're going to see how that goes too there's i have a lot to do this month we're going to see <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're going to see um so so yeah, it's just it's just gonna be a fun fun show. Month of August, you can just walk in and see it behind the bar. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I will definitely yeah. be going to check it out. That was, if you kind of touched on my other question because I know mm-hmm. we didn't have a lot of time to talk about it when we were meeting at the 365. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, you're you love darkroom, as do I. I do. Yes. And so I wanted to talk about your um, like, how did you get to maybe all stemmed back from when you were a five-year-old and you were shooting yeah. in your in your oatmeal box, which funny yeah. enough, when now that you said that, I'm like, mm-hmm. I remember my mom doing that with us. Oh, wow. she, nice. she had us make pinhole cameras. Um, oh, but anyway, it. so I didn't really start doing darkroom until my parents had a darkroom when I was growing mm-hmm. up, but I really didn't, I don't know, maybe I didn't just feel yeah. the 
whatever sure. until fairly yeah. recently. And now I, I do have my own, but I was curious how your love of that part of the process came around. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, it was funny because when I, when I started the whole film photography thing, it was, it was very much just a, wouldn't it be fun to shoot this one specific camera to say I've done it and to know what it feels like. Um, and, and now here I am. Uh, <laughs> but it, I mean, I, I started off with just doing, doing like the kitchen developing, you have your Patterson tank, you have your dark bag, um, which I, I discovered, I, I, I really don't like being in pitch black, <laughs> which a great moment to discover that is when you're trying to learn how to load a 120 reel. <laughs> so I went and got a developing bag. Uh, now I can just, you know, load my reels and watch Netflix at the same time. But no, so I mean, I, I started I started off with the kitchen developing and I I've always really enjoyed that. I like having the control over the process and I like I mean, the, the fact that I mean, everything everything tends so digital now and everything tends. So, I mean, like it's, it's wireless, it's Bluetooth, it's no touch, it's whatever. And I I want things to be tactile. Mm -hmm. I, I like to actually hold something in my hands and feel like. Like, I mean, kind of in like the, the most most like basic definition of manipulation, like you had your hands on it, you did something mm -hmm. to it, but you were involved with this right. with this object. Um, and I really I really like that. I like to pursue things that allow me to to do that more. Um, and I feel like I mean, I feel like darkroom work is kind of the natural progression of that because it's while I love and it was like really important to me the first time I ever scanned something. It's like, oh, my God, I can do this whole thing on my own it's still removing a layer of that tactility and a layer of that hands-on, I was involved with this at every stage feeling. Um, yeah. So I, I want to get more into, into darkroom stuff and I, I didn't have a lot of luck in Colorado finding spaces that were open partially because I mean, CPAC is gonna be reopening soon, right. um, thank God. So there will be a darkroom there. They've, I know they've like expanded, it's gonna be very cool. Um, Looks really cool, yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm sorry to be leaving before that reopens. Uh, <laughs> I know. Um, but one of the things that made me so excited, we we came out to New York a few months ago, just just on vacation, and there's a dark room in Brooklyn, Gowanus Dark Room, okay. um, that does that does classes. It's in like a community space. Like there are members. You can you can like it's it's just a very it's a very cool community space and. It was really exciting to me to be able to just really easily get in there and take a lesson in darkroom stuff and develop my film and and see what other people were doing as well, which I feel like is something. Yeah. And I know Je Jeffrey over at Dever School of Photography talks about this a lot too, but the the fact that with darkrooms before, your work was always on show at every stage that you couldn't you couldn't avoid other people oh, yeah. doing it. And that's something like now I've, I've posted something to Instagram. I've checked that I like it. I've checked that it's good. I've edited it. It's cleaned up. This is the one. And and there's a lot of my work that isn't that. And I I feel like it's missing out on part of the process to see other people's reactions to the things that you know maybe you thought weren't good enough or you didn't want to do this with. And yeah, it removes a whole part of the community aspect. And I mm -hmm. would like to be able to explore that more and be able to to engage with other people at kind of every stage of the process, not just the final one. Yeah. I love that. That's that's really cool. I agree. It is such a different, it's so different to have a print, nothing wrong mm -hmm. with getting prints from Mike's camera. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. But 
I, you know, I have some that I still have that I printed a couple weeks ago that mm-hmm. are still just sitting out because I'm like, yeah. I just want to, you know, it's like, yeah. I did this yeah. from, you know, loaded, yeah. I even hand rolled the film, you know, right. it's like, yeah. And, and when you, like, when you brought really that stuff into, yeah. stuff into 365 Club, it's just, it's so exciting to see that and to like, yes. hear about the work you put into it and, and they look better. They just, they look better. <laughs> it's satisfying. It's so satisfying mm-hmm. to know that. Like and to make it a good looking print is hard. Yes. It is like, hard. Really yeah. hard. I think the thing that I like about what you said on about um, th- that they just look better. It. I think one of the reasons is it's actually light making it, not not ink. You know. Right. Right. Light yeah. is writing on, you know, shutting through the film onto your light sensitive paper, mm-hmm. and it's it's all light doing it, and that to right. me it makes much much more of a crisp image as long as everything is in focus obviously but oh yeah <laughs> and yeah it's it's such a cool process such a cool process yeah. um one thing that i like about printing <laughs> and i haven't done much of it but we do have mm-hmm. a dark room in our in our bathroom and one thing that i like about doing the printing is that you see your image as you scan it and you mm-hmm. think that it looks that way right. but then you go to print it and you can make all kinds of adjustments just with the right. exposure and the contrast, mm-hmm. but also with dodging and burning and all that and make mm-hmm. it a totally not different image, but a different version of the image mm-hmm. and make a unique image. I just love that, you know, and oh, yeah, it's yeah. all done. Uh, it's it's all done in a, ma- you know, m- manual way, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, no, or no, yeah. no artificial intelligence required. Oh, yeah, you know? no, absolutely. Right. And yeah, kind of, kind of in, in line with that, something I've really liked with the little darkroom stuff I've done is how much, I mean, for obvious reasons, a lot of Photoshop techniques take their their vocabulary from earlier actual darkroom stuff and being able to see the the way those two things like play together and, and let I can understand something I'm doing, mm-hmm. you know, in the darkroom because I've done this thing digitally and now I can do the digital thing better because I have this actual tactile understanding. That's very cool right. to see. Mm-hmm. But the other thing, and I mean, this kind of, talking about artificial intelligence and all that which is whole world right now um Uh, i know i know but something i mean that's kind of the other thing i i like about not just film photography but when you can go through the entire process into the dark room is the i feel like the amount of time and the amount of materials you have to commit to an image mean that you're you're more conscious of it you're going to be making i think better decisions more more definitely you're just gonna be aware of what you're doing and you're gonna care more about it and I think that does, in many cases, produce a better image if you if you can't just whip something off in five minutes or five hours. It's right. you actually have to spend this whole process with this image, and by the end of it, if it's good, you will know. <laughs> and if it isn't, um, yeah, I did. I did a I did a one on one workshop. There's a guy in Colorado, Michael Snively, um, who does alternative processes. And a lot of four by five work. I think I think some of his stuff is up at CPAC right now. He's, okay. And he does some of the he does some of the darkroom courses and the four by five courses for them. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, he's a really great photographer. Um, and I'd met him. I did a amber type workshop, like collodion, the glass plate, mm-hmm. um, large format stuff, um, with oh, Jacqueline Webster. I think that's her name. Yeah, Jacqueline Webster. About five years ago. Um, and I'd met him because he was helping her with that course. He, he handled the cameras. Um, and I did I did a salt printing, like one-on-one class with him, because I've always wanted to try salt printing, and I tried to do it in my bathroom, and that was a nightmare. 
Um, so it's a very small bathroom. Uh, <laughs> just not enough room for all the washing and the. So so I went over to his dark room to do this, and it it was about a seven eight hour long day just spent entirely in the dark room for one image. Wow. Um, and it was I picked. It, I mean, it was kind of I was, I was learning, so I mean, like I didn't. I wasn't like picking like the best image I've got. Let's try it. I was like picking like, here's one that's good tones. We're going to try with this. But I was like, I like this image. It'll be good. It'll be fine. It was a picture of a bridge in Central Park. Hmm. And um, so we went through the process of making the digital negative and you go through the process of coding the paper and you have to code it multiple times. And then, and then you actually have to expose it and it takes 30 minutes to get the, hmm. the, the like UV light to actually make dark the image. And then you have the just, like step after step of like the different washes and the different and the toning and the by the end of it you've been standing at the sink staring at this one image for 45 minutes you know? <laughs> oh and my gosh five times with the same image to learn the process fully and by the end of it if there's something wrong with that image you are really gonna know and you're gonna be really sick of it <laughs> so the entire yes. time i was like after seven hours of staring at this image i was like i missed focus oh my god i missed focus i didn't notice before that i'd missed like just by like an inch uh -huh. which was just a little and then you spend seven hours doing that so you and that was it was it was wonderful it was <laughs> like it was a fantastic experience and it's it's gonna make me way more aware of what i'm shooting now because you know, not even if, you know, not every image I make is going to be seven, eight hours of processing time. <laughs> right. You hope not, at still, least, right? <laughs> right. It's still, if I, if I want to make something out of one of these images, if I want to do that process, if I want to even just do regular darkroom, I, I want to feel like I was, I was there for every bit of it and every second of it. And I, I was intentional and conscious about mm -hmm. every aspect before I hit the shutter. Um, uh. So yeah, so that was that was a very that was really cool for me, and it that's kind of my argument for <laughs> for let's 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 like it maybe I think there might be like a place for a lot of different stuff, but that doesn't mean the old stuff isn't valuable or no, it's can't you or you can't learn from it and then apply that to the the newer modern stuff you're doing. There's there can be right. everything. there can be there's a lot there's a lot that can happen. It's definitely relevant uh, doing the doing it as you said say the old way. But it's and it's also something that we as humans came up with, you know, it, mm -hmm. this is it, it, photography, like every other artistic endeavor is a result of generation upon generation mm -hmm. of humans. I don't want to say perfecting it, but in a sense, perfecting the process, coming up with newer processes yeah. to add to this body of knowledge mm -hmm. uh, that we have today. So it's it's a very human anthropocentric yeah. way of doing it, you know, sure. And I love it. I, it it's it's yeah. It, it's re it relates to our species. <laughs> yeah, no, for so. sure. And that and that kind of like generation on generation, like knowledge being passed down and experience being passed down, and and that's that is really key. We play off of each other and we play off of the work that came before. And staying aware of that, I think, can only inform and improve the stuff we do we do next. Right for later generations should it exactly. continue. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was like even just just in terms of like the the tools you use, I. I'm really glad I started with a camera from 1920. Yeah. You know, it, it when I started, I mean, I'd been shooting as a kid for years, but I I couldn't have explained aperture to you. I couldn't have explained any of it because I was just a kid <laughs> with a digital camera just being like, well, it looks fine on the screen. I think I did a good job, you know, yeah. just like mm -hmm. going along. And then here I am at 20, whatever, with this hundred year old camera trying to like figure out how to take a shot and and learning about those like earliest forms of, of like a of a commercial kind of tourist's camera. Mm -hmm. 
fed into the knowledge that I use now to actually like feel a little more fluent with with the techniques I'm using and and yeah. what I can do with this technology. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm not saying go every decade and get a camera from every decade, but <laughs> you know, play, play around a little bit. Have yeah. Fun. <laughs> exactly. I agree. Thank you. Yeah. Julie, do you have anything? I have loads of things. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. That's all right. I am um, was thinking about when you were talking about the darkroom stuff. Do you do any contact printing? Um, well, that, that's what the that's what the salt printing is. Um, yeah, because you're making a, a digital negative. Mm -hmm. You said for that. Yeah. Because I like little, doing it. Yeah. Go ahead. With the small formats too. I don't know how to yeah. use. I bought an enlarger and Mario uses it. I'm not clever enough to, or patient enough <laughs> to sit in there and figure out with the test strips. It just, mm. it's a little too much for my um, my ADHD mm. tolerance to be in there. But I, I've been taking six by six and even yeah. the 127 negatives, I don't know what dimension right. they are, but they're so cute. Mm -hmm. I made some cyanotypes um, yes. from them and um, I made I did some with caffeinol so they came out like this really interesting creamy brown color which was mm -hmm. kind of cool um, but six by nine like you said your camera is six right. your old one does six by nine right mm -hmm. yeah I that's love a, doing contact yeah. prints of that size I just wondered if you've tried that I haven't tried it with a six by nine, but when I was trying to teach myself salt printing in the kitchen, I was doing some stuff with 35 and, and I think some six by six images. Um, and I wish they turned out, uh, <laughs> but I have done, I had a, someone gave me like as a, as a kind of gag gift, like one of those little like cyanotype kits that you can like get at like, like science stores and stuff. And I, I played around with those and it, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a really cool, and especially with like 120, 127, all of that, it, you are getting a pretty good image out of that. Um, you can actually see what's happening. So, so yeah, no, that's that's really cool. You do that. That's that's very neat. It's another way to be able to do it all yourself. See, I've always yeah. had Mario. Mario used to do all my scanning, and then one day he suggested that I just learn to do it because I think he was sick of scanning <laughs> his and mine. <laughs> and um, I think it was Wayne Setzer was talking about about how he doesn't see his images until he makes a darkroom print like he mm -hmm. he doesn't mm -hmm. have a scanner he doesn't do any yeah. scanning um or he may have one but he only scans like his darkroom prints or something and so recently i started doing that like making contact prints because i don't do the enlarger part before mm -hmm. i scan it so i can see if i like it at all yeah because it is different like some negatives mm -hmm. make really good darkroom prints and some do not do right. i should clarify contact darkroom prints yeah so like without dodging and burning and without contrast mm -hmm. filters and all of that so i love it if i get one where the exposure and the type of negative and i don't know how to tell what i've done that makes one kind versus the other mm -hmm. unfortunately where you make the contact print and it just is like a perfect photograph the first time Mm -hmm. And then other ones do not work well, but then I scan it and invert it and it looks good just right inverted without adjusting anything. Mm -hmm. Like I wish 
I could make notations and figure out what I'm doing so that I had, so I was making a choice, not an accidental discovery every time. Right. Yeah. But those are fun. Like the, I have some baby speed graphics. Oh yeah. The two and a quarter by three and a quarter Mm -hmm. negatives. And those I've been doing a little bit with those recently. Um, And they make pretty cute, pretty cute little photos. Yeah. They do. They really do. Very neat. Julie, you did a... I'm thinking of an image that you did. Um, You took a picture of one of your TLRs on a chair. I think it was as a 4x5, and I don't know which camera you used. But then you just used the kitchen light. You turned it on and then turned it off and made a contact print of that you shot that's right you shot paper in your camera and then made a contact print of the paper negative onto paper to make a positive paper and it worked out totally well using a very ad hoc way of doing it and i don't know uh anna we can send you a a scanned image of that it it was just a really really cool image it was like a portrait of of a tlr yeah on a chair with like some shadows or something. it was mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. really captivating i'd love uh, to see it but it was done in a very you know just purely mechanical yeah paper you know, to paper paper to paper non like non-scientific way it was just turning on mm-hmm. the light turning it back off and it was perfect wow so perfect but do you very remember that cool. julie yeah okay <laughs> that's with the speed graphic okay but yeah Um, you can shoot do the paper and then i was going to remind you suzanne you can do that with your four by five too yeah it's really cheap because you can cut down an eight by (laughs) ten yeah and make four anything to make cheaper (laughs) right i know so i don't don't have to worry about the the sheet film because you can just do them in the trays Mm -hmm. which is why i do it but now we did get we got the um the Stearman 8 by 10 daylight tank. Mm. Oh, yeah, tank. yeah, I have, yeah. Tray. What's it called? It's a tray. It is a tray, yeah. It's a tray, but it's got like light baffles. And oh. so you load it in the dark, but you can do four 4 by 5s or an 8 by 10 or two 5 by 7s mm-hmm. or the 2 by 3s. I can put those in there. Yeah. It works really good, but you do have to put rubber bands around it or to keep the top. Or you lid. will get light in there. Which oh. happened the first time, yeah. but it's really versatile and it's like, what was it like a hundred and yeah, it was, I think it like a hundred and forty dollars or something. It was no, I don't think it, it was, was that not much. much more than the than the tank you were looking at, the four by five tank. So uh, yeah, that in itself is like ninety five bucks. Yeah, yeah. So it was like thirty dollars more. Okay, okay. not much more. But then should you decide to go to eight by 10, you're all set already. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. That is nice. It's future Anna. planning. Future. Anna, have you, That's right. <laughs> have you ever shot paper? Um, I don't think so. It's fascinating because so. it, yeah. you think of paper as being not as sharp as film, but it is incredibly mm-hmm. sharp, incredibly sharp. And yeah. uh, you can get some, um, it, sometimes the, 
the the paper negatives themselves look so good that if you make a mm -hmm. say a contact print or invert it using your scanner the positive doesn't look as good as the the actual negative it's yeah it's really fascinating you should try huh. it with because you should you shoot four by five right i ha yeah i have a i have a four by five it's in storage right now but i yeah yeah I've got, you should try I've got it a, sometime okay i will and it's you can do it in those old folders too yeah i cut down the paper and stick it in the backs of the oh, old yeah. cameras and you can only yeah. do one shot but still fun not like i'm getting uh, that many anyway <laughs> i'm sorry I, sh I shouldn't tell you what you should do or shouldn't do but oh, no, no, it's just it. it's really fascinating it uh yeah julie started doing that i'm like you can shoot paper and uh yeah the the results are just really really good so yeah, I'm always down they're to so try good some stuff yeah they're so good that mario does not shoot paper I have shot, so, uh, you, you lie, I, I've shot a few pieces of paper. <laughs> uh, he, he is very supportive of what I do and more more because I think he's fascinated by the lack of technique and like my my light switch flipping and like, well, it worked. Yeah, no, I, I am, can't do it twice. I have no idea how long. Well, it I'm worked like, this time. Psh. I am fascinated. I mean, that's where this all started, really, you know? <laughs> Just fascination. Well, it worked right? this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. heavens, though, those people who began the process took much better notes than I take. <laughs> For sure. Uh, hey, Anna, I wanted to ask you one more question. Um, if I don't know, Julie and Suzanne, if you have any more questions, but um, okay. Anna, do, does your partner uh, shoot photography? Uh, well? not really. Um, he, I mean, he, he occasionally, he occasionally, if I throw him a camera, he might, he might shoot a roll, uh, yeah. to humor me. Um, yeah. uh, so he, I mean, he knows, he knows how to use a camera and everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not, it's not a, a thing he does regularly by any means. Yeah. But he's pretty supportive. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, he got yeah. me my Ricoflex. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. One of, one of my, one of my best Christmas gifts ever. So <laughs> that's yeah. rad. Awesome, it. awesome. We do yeah. one more question. What's that? Oh, yeah. We were going to remember, have her talk about her podcast. So oh, yes. People can listen oh. to her voice in another way. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Because that's yeah, cool. Um, and I'm going to yeah, go immediately yeah. look that up. Oh, man. Yeah, no, it's I mean, entirely unrelated to photography. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's just it's called the Odyssey Out Loud. It's it's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's I think it's up everywhere. Um, and it's just approximately 15 minute episodes going through Homer's Odyssey from from beginning to end. Sometimes a little commentary, but mostly just just the story. Um, and I've been doing it for a couple of years now. I was it was kind of my, my big pandemic year project uh, when I had nothing else to do. I just sat in my closet, translated ancient Greek, <laughs> recorded it, <laughs> put it out there. Um, so I've, I'm working on getting, getting production back up and running a little bit more. Um, so it's, I'm putting out more episodes than I have been, but, but yeah, it's just, it's a, uh, if you, if you ever wanted to listen to some epic poetry and, and couldn't get into Homer before it's, very short segments and yeah that's cool yeah so i have actually i have a question regarding that you said you're translating it from from greek into english right mm -hmm. okay uh is i thought ancient... about french but you know i said <laughs> <laughs> my family couldn't listen to it and <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> okay. so is is greek 
is, is it ancient Greek or modern Greek or what? It's ancient Greek. Okay. Um, so I guess I have a couple of questions regarding that. I, yeah. I love language. Um, yeah. Greek and English are part of the Indo-European language family. So there's some, mm-hmm. you know, some commonalities between them. Um, but I wonder about ancient Greek. Is it very... Well, I, I guess I don't know if the is there such a thing as ancient Greek versus modern Greek, like there is old English versus modern it, English. It is it is very similar to that in a lot of ways because there okay. I mean there are words that are still the same. Okay, the alphabet is still pretty much the same. There's I mean there's a lot of stuff that's still the same. Okay, but it it is kind of like if you I, I feel like not it's not like if you threw someone today Chaucer exactly because I feel like Chaucer a lot of people can still kind of slog through. Yeah, um, it's more like there's there's a yeah, there's there's some I think it's I think it's the same era as as Canterbury Tales, but there's a poet, the Pearl poet, who did Gawain and the Green Knight and that whole bit, and his that the the English, quote unquote, that that he's using is is even farther from from <laughs> comprehensible to us now than Chaucer is. So right. it's, I think there are elements that are more like that, but it's okay. You can see how it got to where it is now, and there's there's a kind of there's an obvious progression. Okay. Um, yeah. Cool, but the you said the alphabet is still the same, so you can at least decipher it. Even oh if yeah, yeah. There's a lot of in it's in some. I mean, there's some there's some letters that don't <laughs> that didn't make it through. <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, you know, an alpha is still an alpha, and a beta is still a beta. It. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what what was the name of the podcast again? Oh, um, the Odyssey Out Loud. Nice. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. And you also mentioned that you did audiobooks. Was it? Oh yeah, I am. Um, yeah, I work with right now. I'm working with a um, with a publisher called the Pragmatic Bookshelf. Okay. Um, and they do it's it's all like tech books. Um, so it's it's all like about like computer programming and stuff like that. And I'm working through their backlog kind of and and turning a bunch of them into audiobooks, um, which is a lot of fun. So nice. if you're if you are in the tech field, I highly recommend. And if not, I mean, you could listen anyway. You might you might learn something, or you know, you could go to sleep to it. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's cool. That's cool. Well, Anna, thank you so much for being part of the podcast today. Thank you. It was a wonderful privilege talking with you and learning yeah, from I've had you a great as well. Time. Yeah. And yeah, before we great. end the show, I want to just. Uh, tell everyone and let it well probably everybody that listens to this podcast also listens to the film photography podcast they're like the you know the og (laughs) photography podcast or film photography podcast but on one of their most recent episodes they did make an announcement that their that the film photography project store is lowering their prices or have lowered their prices for all kodak films and i went on let's see bnh and the FPP store, and there's like a three or four dollar difference between all, with all the uh, Kodak stock, Portra, Ektar, oh, T Max, because they said the price hikes are basically um, unconscionable. <laughs> <laughs> they they want to bring the the prices down, not so they they don't make any money. They have to make money for their store but they want to make it more available for us film shooters so everybody head over to the fpp and support them they're an awesome awesome uh, company and they're lowering their lowering their prices for us film shooters so thank you guys for doing that <laughs> but uh That's anyways phenomenal. yeah it is it really is um i, I think i bought from the, the when i first got into film photography 
I bought from them, and I don't know how I found out about them, about them, but I bought my first rolls from them, and I, that kind of set me on the precedent of not mm. only buying from them, but also on the kinds types of films that I shoot because they really push the really slow film. <laughs> so, and which I now really, really love. But yeah, all right. Well, uh, Anna, thank you again for joining the podcast. Julie and Suzanne, I'm always happy that you guys are part of my podcast. I remember when I started this in early 2020, it was just me and my iPhone. Mm -hmm. That's really <laughs> so sad sounding. It uh, is. <laughs> I'm glad like to, to insert some really sad music, like poor Mario. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just ha really super happy that you guys are part of the podcast. So like always, that. always, I think about it a lot, but all right. Well, we'll end the show now, but everyone, thank you all for listening to this podcast and as always keep those analog vibes alive <laughs>